With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mallory Viridian is a small town girl. Except somehow people keep getting murdered around her. So she left her town and people still kept on getting killed near her. She's like a murder magnet, this woman. So she decided to go far, far away in another galaxy, possibly. <laughs> but she goes to an alien space station light years away from Earth, as far away from other humans as she possibly can. And somehow the murders keep on coming. A great big hello to all listeners out there. And thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Two Bookness Talking with me, Diana Yong, and my favorite podcast partner, Honey Ahmad. Hey, Honey. Hello. How many podcast partners do you have <laughs> for me to be your favorite? Well, out of everyone that I could choose to be my podcast partner, I chose you. Uh, this is true. This is true. <laughs> we still choose each other every day. Yeah, <laughs> so romantic. Okay, everybody, wonderful, wonderful people out there. We are talking Station Eternity today by Mer Lafferty. So Mer Lafferty is best known for her 2017 Hugo, Nebula and Philip K. Dick Award nominated novel, Six Wakes, which is a space thriller about a crew of clones who awaken aboard a spaceship to find they're being hunted and any one of them could be the killer. Yeah, so I think she really is kind of into this sort of like crimey, a little bit murder kind of books. I have actually read Six Weeks and quite enjoyed it because it takes something very familiar like a closed door mystery because basically that's what it is. It's a, it's a closed door murder, right? Except she throws in a little bit of sci-fi into it. She throws out of space the fact that you can't leave this spaceship. And on top of that, the people on the ship are clones and they don't remember why they're clones and why they're there at the beginning. So Station Eternity is her answer to a cozy murder mystery, except it has aliens. It is billed as Agatha Christie meets Doctor Who. <laughs> that is so cute. It's called the Midsolar uh, murder. Um, sorry, Mysteries. Midsolar Mysteries? Or yeah. This is a Midsolar Mysteries, which is the first book in this planned trilogy, right? I The book just sucked me in. Did you enjoy it uh, while you were reading it? Okay, I really liked, I guess, the, the center theme of the book. It is a person who just attracts murders. So wherever she goes, a murder happens. And of course, if this happens to you all the time it gets a little bit inconvenient right because you keep meeting the same fbi person who goes like why are all these murders around you people start thinking that you might be responsible for them or you're cursed and on top of that you probably feel a lot of guilt because like you don't want to go to a birthday party because somebody might die you don't want to hang out with your family because somebody might die so it's it's kind of like an interesting idea of a person who has to self-isolate herself because she doesn't want to be the cause of a death. 
nobody ever believed murders just happened around Mallory Viridian. Not at first anyway. Before 2032, she figured she was an unlucky kid in that she'd been adjacent to two deaths at separate times. In college, she witnessed four murders, unrelated, and this time helped solve them. She began to worry after she solved her third and fourth cases, two unrelated murders while on a college trip. She wasn't trained in crime scene investigation and she wasn't even a big fan of mystery novels. Still, she was the only one to spot that the key clue to the murder of a room service waiter was not the shotgun, but a tacky, wet popsicle stick. Despite this solve, the detectives were not impressed. I would have found it eventually, Detective Kelly Brady had barked, his cheeks still pink from being teased by a big cop about the popsicle stick. Even the investigators who accepted her help in solving cases didn't believe Mallory had done this before. She was 22, a college dropout, and a civilian. What did she know about a murder investigation? After she'd solved five cases, the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation started getting interested in her. So you have that. And then you throw in a space station. I was reading this interview with Merle Lafferty and she was saying that when she first came up the idea for Six Wakes, she, she's actually a sci-fi writer, right? So Six Wakes was her first kind of murder mystery kind of book. So she said that, you know, she pitched the idea to, to her, pu- her publisher and, and they really liked it. And then she, she thought, oh my God, now I have to write a murder mystery and I have no idea how to do this. So she started researching and she started reading Agatha Christie books. And that really gave her the idea for this, for this series. Well, of course, Six Weeks did, did really well. It was one of those genre mashups that were, was unexpected for her to come up and make it, make it a mystery that really worked. And yeah, and that's why she's kind of like gotten into this groove and got, gotten into this, you know, like she's now she's found her, you know, her, her wheelhouse, I guess. Mm. So she's writing more and more murder mysteries set in space. I have to say that murder mystery is a genre that kind of follows you. Because <laughs> even for me, all I've been doing recently is murder mysteries. For I mean, the, the TV shows I've been writing. And, and they are fiendishly difficult to write. So the fact that she's not only <laughs> written a cozy murder mystery set in space, but also is a series... So obviously, she probably has to churn out a book a year. Now, there's a few cheeky things that I thought that occurred to me when I was reading the book. Firstly, if you talk about Midsummer Murders, right, where uh, she kind of cheekily takes the name from Midsola, mm-hmm. literally, I have never known a town where so many people get murdered. I mean, you keep thinking that I don't want to live in this town, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and it does, right? All these characters like Jessica Fletcher, Poirot, Miss Marple, they're constantly near a murder, conveniently. You go on a cruise on the Nile, somebody dies. You go on the Orient Express, somebody dies. You go to a Christmas party, somebody dies. So I think even though it feels like kind of fresh, it has been done, you know, like a, a million times. It's just that she gives it a bit of a twist and, and really draws your attention to it. And secondly, honestly, it's kind of hard as a reader to figure out who killed if it's a whodunit, right, and you always kind of want to know, uh, you kind of want to solve it, is because 
you have all these aliens and you have absolutely no idea about their anatomy. You have absolutely no idea about what is their modus operandi. Do they have hands? Do they have, are they bipedal? So she can literally do anything. <laughs> the fact that she can kind of sustain your interest, that is quite interesting because as a person who reads a lot of whodunit, I kind of felt that there's a little bit of a, it's not so much a cop-out, but it, it's easy to confuse your reader when your reader doesn't know everything about the suspect, you know, because they're not people. Yeah. <laughs> Half of them are aliens. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I thought it was a really good sci-fi adventure uh, to go along with the, with a murder mystery, even though the murder mystery is basically the, why, why you're here, right? That's, that's what moves the plot along. But she spends a lot of time developing this world and giving you an idea of why humans are, you know, what where the aliens came from, uh, what they're like, you know, there are so many different races of aliens that she meets. And also this really interesting character. So we have we have to learn about Mallory and what her history has been to bring us up to the stage where she's she's become this person who's so afraid to be around other people. You do have quite a lot of information at the beginning it but i wouldn't say it's all just info dump get you learn about the characters as you meet them you learn about the situation as you as you go along and i would say she handled that pretty well even though there's so much to get into Mm, I mean, I think it's also because you and me read quite a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. So we're quite, we're quite chilled about the fact that we don't really know these aliens, but then we feel that it's fine. Part of the appeal of the book as well is just getting to know the aliens, right? It's, it's the same appeal I think you get from a Becky Chambers book because she really sort of like thinks about her aliens really well and gives you like a good combination of info dumping but at the same time treats you like an intelligent reader. You learn more and more things. So it's actually learning the different cultures of the aliens, what kind of aliens they are, what is their physicality, what's their mental capacity, what's their language. Those are the things that also kind of keeps you going in this book, right? Because you are the outsider here. You're just like Mallory. And on top of that, the space station is also sentient. So the space station is also alive. So you have this colossal... I guess, alien entity that is actually where everybody is kind of like hanging out and murders happen on on this entity, you know? Don't forget, there's also a slow burn romance in the background. Oh, yeah, there is, there is, there is. Yeah, she does, she does chuck that in. Maybe, Diana, you should just get people up to speed. Basically, if you, if you want to know a little bit of background about, about Mallory, uh, Mallory Viridian, so she's this woman who has... Right from the beginning of the of the novel, she's already had 18 murders have happened around her before the novel even opens. So that's the background. After two years of college and four murders in six months, she had tried therapy. Dr. Miller first said she'd seen too many murder mystery shows and didn't believe her when she said she wasn't a fan of them. Then he suggested possible paranoid schizophrenia or maybe just paranoia. She left the appointment with a prescription for Brexpiprazole that she didn't feel. During her second appointment, Miller's receptionist was murdered while Mallory and the doctor were arguing in the next room. When they discovered the body, Dr. Miller accused her instead of validating her, and then, when she obviously had a perfect alibi, refused to treat her further. He didn't appreciate her solving the crime either, 
probably because the killer had been his own wife, who had been convinced he was sleeping with the victim. She'd turned to religion next. She didn't care which. She just made a list of places one could worship in Raleigh and roll the die. Each holy leader she spoke with told her to trust in a variety of higher powers. Give herself over to Christ. Follow the Tao. Meditate. Pray. Volunteer. Whatever. They each thought she was presenting a troubled mind that their fate could focus. Not a real problem. But she couldn't just magically believe in something. She had trouble believing in what was actually happening in front of her. Miracles happen daily if we just open ourselves to it. One priest has said while she was in confession. He hadn't wanted to call it a miracle when, while hearing Mallory's confession, a parishioner had been murdered in the church's parking lot. The church had not admitted she was right. They instead accused her of orchestrating the crime. This was her eighth murder and she should have known better. Um, when we first meet her on the space station, uh, where she's like trying to figure out where she fits in. I mean, she, it hasn't been long since she, she's arrived there. And she's trying to like find a role for herself. You really get a sense of how lonely it is when you feel like you can't be around anybody. <laughs> Because you're so worried that you have this kind of aura of, you know, like doom, misfortune (laughs) that that just follows you around. And just like, it's like this ghost that follows you and just would like, you know, like just affect murders. And they, they always turn out to be murders that are easily solved because she's so used to thinking about murder, thinking about the connections and the reasons and the whys and wherefores of of why people murder each other, that she can figure out murders very quickly. And this not only helps her like to handle the situation when when people die around her, but it also gets her in trouble with the police because the police like, it's so weird that you're always around when people die. Always. And you solve them. Yeah, yeah, and you know how to figure it out, and which is it always feels so so convenient, which is actually a jab, I think, at the whole trope of these really clever detectives who just happen to be there, and then they happen to be able to to be the the people who who can solve these murders at the same time, so, and and nobody else has their knowledge or their insight or their or that tenacity to go and figure it out, I guess. I think maybe in general, people are not very curious. Lah. So I think a lot no. of the times... <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. Say you go to a resort and somebody dies, Diana. I don't think the first thing on your mind is I want to solve this murder, right? No, no so maybe just... people don't feel like they want to, but it's sort of like, like everyone feels like I'm not qualified enough to solve this and I don't have the know-how and I don't have the kind of ability to bring all this information together. I guess it takes a certain kind of person to do that. I mean, I mean, and I guess that's what a lot of these sort of like amateur sleuths or amateur detectives, as you want to call them. I mean, either than the ones who are actually police procedurals, right? If you talk about, I don't know, uh, Father Dowling, um, Sherlock Holmes, even, uh, you know, like Miss Marple, all what they have in common is this, I think it's just curiosity and just mm-hmm. this busybodiness and... <laughs> I suppose, a mind that wants to solve puzzles, right? So they uh, they actually have all of this in common. Whereas Mallory feels like somebody who doesn't quite want to do it, 
and yet she is gifted with this ability. It is kind of annoying. Because <laughs> like she 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 rather not want to be involved, but she just can't help it, right? When she sees the clues, she's just like, I might have to tell somebody. She's she doesn't dislike people, but she just knows that she has to stay away from them. And it's made it's made her life quite miserable yeah. and lonely. Yeah, and, and it's basically, it defines her life. She doesn't want murder to define her life, but she has no choice about it because, you know, she can't keep a job when she, people keep dying around her. Yeah, so so like that's why she ends up actually taking the murders that, that she solves and actually writing murder mysteries based on the murders that she solved, which is actually quite cute, right? Mm-hmm. So she herself is a murder mystery writer. And then she gets to the space station, you find out there's only two other people like two other human beings in this space station, the ambassador from Earth, and a kind of like a stowaway like her, you know, another person that has kind of like sought asylum. And so far, the space station has not allowed any humans to visit because <laughs> they think that we are not advanced enough because all the aliens on this station have symbiotic relationships with other aliens, you know, and people are just alone. <laughs> So the fact that we have not developed this ability to connect with another being makes us lesser creatures. So that's why like no humans have been invited to come to Station Eternity. Mallory had known on an academic level that all the other sentient races had the ability to form symbiotic relationships, but hadn't realized how bad that made humans look to them the other races viewed humans as being terribly lonely and unevolved. Mallory's phantasmagore friend in station security, Devanshi, had explained this to her. Devanshi had expressed regret that Mallory was so alone on the station. Mallory had thought she meant the lack of humans on the station, but the chameleon-like phantasmagore alien had said that with a symbiotic relationship, one was never lonely. Every other sentient being in the known universe has some sort of symbiont, often for their whole lives. Some of them bond with their own race, but usually it's two races that join in a mutually beneficial connection. She indicated her own symbiont. Phantasmagore were the approximate size and bipedal shape of humans. But the similarities ended there. They were lithe and strong, with chameleon-like abilities and webbed hands. And most often, they looked like a bendy star mannequin had gotten into a fight with a honeysuckle vine. Devanshi's skin was dark brown and shiny, and a rough line twined from her back left ankle up her leg to the middle of her back, sometimes sprouting little red blooms like flowers along the thicker part of the vine. This was Devanshi's symbiont, a plant-like creature that gave her the chameleonic abilities. She called the creature Splendid. And the inciting incident of this story is that suddenly Eternity says that, okay, she's going to welcome a shuttle full of human tourists. And this is what sets her off in a panic. Because she's like, oh my God, if there's going to be a shuttle full of people coming to this space station, somebody's going to die. <laughs> because, you know, like that means it will bring her into close proximity with other human beings. <laughs> And and that's not not even the least bit suspicious that she that she said that and then it happened. Right? Yeah, so it's not. I mean, like if you really think about it, like it's really hard to not read a lot of these 
series of, of murder mysteries and not think about that. How is it that people keep dying around these people and they're not the ones who are fingered? <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. How convenient, right? I mean, of course you have like, if, if you become quite sort of like famous or infamous, right? Then people do invite you when a murder happens and then they, they ask you to come. So I think sometimes that's how you kind of get around the fact that, but yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're concentrating on a town or you're concentrating on an area, you, you sometimes wonder, do murders happen all the time and then people just don't know about it? <laughs> right? Yeah. You do, have to, we, you do have to ask these questions, don't you? <laughs> because you, you don't have like a well-meaning busybody auntie type going around like all these deaths that are like, oh, natural causes or accidental. Probably half of them were murders because there wasn't anybody around to go like, hey, wait a minute. That looks suspicious. It's not just that they're busybody. Like it, for example, like um, Jessica Fletcher, I, I, people say that she's like a busybody, but she's not. That's not the way she comes across to me. She comes across as somebody who's just so aware of the the hidden currents between people. So she can manage to connect these things that people don't think about, right? It's just the, all these hidden relationships that people have and the feelings that we that we hide from each other. Our motivations, our drive that, that people normally don't see. Yeah, because and, she's a writer, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Murder mm-hmm. she wrote, right? Because she's actually a mystery writer. So that's how they kind of explain that, that mm. the fact that when she sits around, all she does is look at people as subject matter, right? As a character. So I guess that's how they, but I don't know. I felt she was quite a busybody. <laughs> when I was watching it, I'm like, oh my God, this woman, you know? Oh, look, an open window. I'm going to stick my nose in it. Oh, look, there's somebody's wallet here. I'm going to open it. I mean, like, she's pretty, she's pretty nosy. I just thought that they're, they're so, it's so conveniently, the, the scene is set that they will discover a clue when they do certain things, right? Yeah. Like, like, that's so convenient. Come on. <laughs> well, you only have 45 minutes. Things need to move. <laughs> Can't be in real time. Okay, so uh, back to Station Eternity. We've done a beautiful list of characters here. So shall we tell people who the characters are? Either than Mallory, you have the other human being on Station Eternity, Zan Morgan. He's got a brother, Phineas, and a grandmother that you find out. And what's nice about this book is that you also go into the backstory of some of the other characters. So you actually learn the story of various main characters in this, you know? So it it goes into kind of like different points of views. Zan and Mallory has a history because they've actually met each other in university. She's had a crush on him for the longest time. And then he joins the army. 10 years later, they bump into each other at a party where he became the main suspect of murdering the birthday boy. But before the police can get him, he was abducted by aliens and taken to Station Eternity. <laughs> that was, that was like, hilarious. That, that was hilarious. That was just pure <laughs> like I was like, okay, you know, like I... She's just throwing all these tropes in there, right? It's a sci-fi with aliens. There's got to be an alien adoption in there. And another thing that she does in this book really, that she does really well, is just that all these people come together and they all have this kind of, this is a network of connections, right? They all have some sort of history with each other in some way. And... Usually that happens because people are in a small town and that's why they have all these different histories with each other. 
Um, that's that's basically the the whole background of and then there were none, right? Mm. She's really like furthering this whole idea that you know, like instead of a small town, the whole world and now the whole universe is basically yeah. a small a small village. You know, it's, it's like out of anybody else that can be on this space station with you, it has to be your old crush. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like can't get far away from your ex if you can. You know, what I mean? it's like right. it's quite funny. And then the other human is of course Adrian Cassidy Barry, and he's the first human ambassador. Um, doesn't like people. Thinks far too highly of himself, but he's a bit of a language savant. So they have an equivalent of what you can call a Babel fish, like, you know, in Douglas Adams' books, you know, you have that Babel fish that allows you to understand other, other languages, right? And the reason he got this is originally he was a person who is like multilingual. I guess he's a linguist to a certain extent, but uh, they have this device that they can implant in you that allows you to understand everyone, which I thought was very convenient that you, you know, that you can actually understand alien languages from this implant. She's actually taken this device, this universal translator idea, and then she explains certain things. For example, there is this whole race of aliens and she knows them by names that we know people on Earth. And yeah, like, yes, like that's right. Stephanie and, and you know, like all, these, all these names that we know. And it's explained away by the translator kind of like takes the, the, the alien name and makes them into a form that you can understand. Yeah. And it kind of, it works. It works. <laughs> You're thinking, huh, why is this alien called Stephanie? <laughs> okay. Ferdinand. Tina. Yeah. This alien called Tina. Tina. Yes. <laughs> I think she's she's done a fantastic job with these aliens because they're fascinating. I mean, like I can imagine just just spending more time figuring out because there's a lot to this book. There has to be a, a fast moving plot when it's a murder mystery. So I want to reassure listeners that it isn't hard to follow. I think that's one thing that she's done it quite well, even though there's a lot going on. Okay, the, one of my favorite ones, I think I'll tell you about my favorite ones. My favorite ones are probably the nice... I, yeah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. It's it's spelled G-N-E-I-S-S. So it's nice, I think. And these are seven feet tall solid stone aliens that, you know, they're they're very good at tech. They're good at they they they're like handle the transportation kind of kind of things. They have a very interesting like kind of evolution. They can live to be thousands of years, and then at a certain stage they evolve into like structures. Stephanie's grandfather is a ship and she's like she has arguments with her ship because you know her grandfather like doesn't li- doesn't like to do certain things and he won't do it like he's just like this ornery old man who just like doesn't understand what's going on like, it's pretty funny The nice standing beside the rock was purple with white veins of marble running through her hard skin she stood about 8 feet tall and was terrifying to an average-sized human. Until you got to know her. She had introduced herself as Stephanie the first day Mallory was on the station, and they'd become friends of a sort. Mallory raised her hand to wave. Hey, Stephanie! The huge rock woman didn't respond. She just kicked the corner of the cube, and then a rumbling, vibrating noise came from her chest. She opened her mouth and the words were broadcast more than spoken with tongue and lips. 
Mallory remembered that the Nice usually preferred to talk to one another via the vibrations that humans couldn't hear. And if they were verbal, it was only for the benefit of species who needed language. Had Stephanie been wanting to shame the shuttle in front of Mallory? Steph, is your shuttle alive? She asked, edging closer to get a better look. Go away, Mallory, Stephanie said in a low rumble. She'd been hurt the first few times Stephanie had told her she didn't have time for her, but she soon learned that nice bloodness was just conservation of energy. It took them more effort to vibrate on a level for other species to hear. For them, speaking was the human equivalent of trying to hold a conversation during a sporting event. Okay, but let me know when you're free. I could use some help, Mallory said, and left Stephanie to her sanding and her argument, which had softened to gentle vibrations too quiet to translate. They remind me a bit of N.K. Jemisin's stone eaters. You know, like stone people, right? Like how they, they turn into stone and the stuff like earth. that. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the Broken Earth trilogy. Mm-hmm. One thing that she also explains is like, what kind of food are you eating on this right and the fact that that both Zan and Mallory has to kind of go around and figure out what food they can eat because and yeah. Ferdinand Ferdinand which is a nice I guess I, I keep calling them Janice right he actually has a little diner <laughs> where he occasionally cooks food for them it's like it's it's quite funny um the sundry and the silence so I quite like these so the sundry are like they are like basically wasps. They're like insects. They're wasp-like aliens. So they have a hive mind. So you have to have more than four of them at a time. Then you can actually understand what they say. Their main purpose of existence is actually to study other creatures. So in order to earn some income, Mallory basically allows them to study her. But can you imagine? You just have to lie down and they crawl all over you. So if you really glee for insects, you're just like, Ugh. the last thing you want is to have wasp-like creatures crawling around you. <laughs> Plus they're like, they, they read your pheromones and stuff like that. And it's like, it's really quite hilarious because if you think about it, this whole idea of like humans meeting aliens and the whole idea about how our physiology is so much different from other, other races and other species all the questions that they will ask like trying to understand why you like this and I, I like the whole idea like humans are so wet are you like, you know you're basically just bags of water and yeah you really think about it how would an alien look at a human being and say like oh my god you guys are so weird yeah and then, and then they kind of sum up your emotional state in like three words so they'll be like angry menstruating sad <laughs> something like that right and you're just like oh great because they can sniff out your pheromones or they can sniff out whatever vibe <laughs> you're giving they're, off they're like everywhere so they kind of like they, they see what's going on and they, you know like damn you, creepy, can't man. Hide, you can't hide anything that happens from them yeah, yeah that is so creepy like yeah, so i wouldn't want to like live in a, a spy network at the same time this is true right and you have the guru deaf and the guru deaf that you meet is ren and he's a humanoid. You know, for some odd reason, I keep thinking that this Guru Dev looks a little bit like a gremlin. I'm not sure why. But they basically are stick insect-like aliens with bark-like skin, I think. And Ren, now now the space station, um, Station Eternity, 
herself or himself. I'm not sure whether there's a sex, which probably was a nice before, right? And then it morphed into a space station probably. Needs like a host. So Ren is actually the alien that bonded with the space station. And and he's a real asshole. <laughs> Nobody I, I likes really Ren. like how you never really think of individual aliens have, as having their own personality like that. Because when you meet an alien, you think of them as, you know, like they're representing their whole, whole race. But you think about it, that's not remotely true about hu- human beings, right? So there's no way that we can, we can imagine that every single member of every single species out there is going to be the same. Yeah, and then you have the Phantasmagore which is really the sexiest name alien. And there are symbiont aliens who bond with other plant-like creatures and they can turn invisible. <laughs> I feel really insecure living on this space station, honestly, because you don't know like whether a sundry is watching you or a phantasmagore has attached itself to your ceiling and just watching you sleep in a creepy kind of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the, the plant symbiont that they have kind of allows them to, to transform Oh, yeah, camouflage, right? Yeah, yeah the chameleon-like qualities, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I tell you what, she doesn't just introduce the aliens. She doesn't just introduce all these different dynamics. They do actually have, like, conflict with each other as well, even though they're all living together on this space station. But there are they, they have their own individual concerns. They do have intra-racial conflicts as well as conflicts with, with other species. So you kind of like, you wonder if the conflict that we see is something that is happening um, within humans or is it also happening with with the aliens? So is is Mallory basically affecting the aliens as well? Mm. Has she catalyzed conflicts among the aliens the way that she can do among human beings? So that was a very interesting dynamic, I felt. But but also, I suppose, if in the same reason why um, this Universal Translator gives aliens human names, right, for us to understand. I guess in the context of understanding them, you you can only understand them a way a human being understands them. You follow Mallory, so you don't know whether what what she observes is actually what the aliens actually feel, right? So, I mean, it's kind of cute to see, like, it's not only the conflicts, but the fact that she also has friendships. Like, you know, she she became very close to Stephanie. Because they are like these rock creatures that live forever, they are very slow. So in order to kind of like have a relationship with Mallory, they kind of speed themselves up, right? <laughs> because if not, they will take forever to walk down a, a, like an aisle or to even have a sentence, right? And so it's, it's almost like Stephanie is quite fast moving. That's why she can kind of be friends with Mallory. So it's kind because of- Because she's still young. She's, she's still, still young. young and she's like, relatively speaking, she's actually like thousands of years old or something. But she's still a teenager in, in nice terms. <laughs> in nice. Oh my God. Okay. So what's your main takeaway from this book, Diana? Why do you think people would enjoy this book? Who would enjoy this book? I would say, first of all, you have to be somebody who's interested in sci-fi. Because for me, that was the that was the main hook for me. I do like the occasional murder mystery. I guess it was kind of like um the anniversary of we did um, murder mysteries last at the beginning of last year. So like, I, I was kind of in the mood for that. It's fun, but at the same time, a little bit more interesting in, in, that, in that it takes the murder mystery trope and changes it. If you're a murder mystery fan, 
and you just think that, you know, like I've read pretty much everything under the sun and I know what to expect, this would probably surprise you a little bit. Mm. I think honestly, for me, what kept me going at the beginning was the fact that, okay, I was a little bit invested in Mallory, but I was also interested in the aliens. I feel for somebody who doesn't read that much sci-fi, it might take a bit of time to wrap your head around it. I think there were areas of the book that I felt was a little bit clunky. And in a way, I kind of wanted the build-up to happen a little bit faster, honestly. I think it's because I'm so used to having a death happening pretty fast. Right when you have a murder me, and this this takes a while because it goes into the backstory and all that. So it is a bit of a mind shift. I am actually looking forward to her other books after this because, in a way, she had to do so much setup in this book that it felt sometimes it got in the way of the actual murder or the story. For me, what kept me going was that I I just found the aliens fascinating. I just kind of like like to know what happens to Mallory. And also, I was wondering whether or not Lafferty can really explain to us, you know, can she actually, at the end of the day, pull it off, right? Do you feel at the end of the day that it's a bit of a cop-out because she can do whatever the hell she wants because she's creating all these creatures, right? Can she build a world where you believe in the rules and can she follow her own rules, right? So I was kind of interested to see whether... Can she actually explain certain things? Like, why is Mallory the way she is? Why why is this murder particularly important? You know, things like that. And I have to say, right, <laughs> I thought she did a pretty good job. I think at the end, I was like, oh, that was kind of clever. Mm. Yeah, for those of you who, who might not necessarily be very used to the sci-fi genre, give this a go and persevere a little bit. It kind of picks up speed, like I think one third in it. And at the end, there's actually quite an interesting and good explanation for a lot of the things that you think that she's just throwing it because it feels kind of like cool. I'd have to say that, you know, in certain parts of it, I do agree with you that it, it kind of felt like, why is she telling me about this person now? Like, you know, like out of nowhere, you, you, you learn about this different character and then you have a whole long backstory about them. And you'd be, be thinking hang on, you know, like, this isn't the story that I that I thought it was. Why are we reading about this other character? Yeah, she's kind of like, I feel like she squeezed a lot of story into one book. It kind of feels like she had to, to mesh everything together because she wanted to set it up and have it all ready to go mm. for the rest of the series, I, I'm presuming. But then she ties it all together and then you get where it's coming from. Mm. Yeah, which is why I think at the end, you understand the reason why she might have given you all this backstory, right? Because if these are the characters that you're going to be following in book two, three, four, I suppose, then you kind of know their background. I I'm really looking forward to the second book. I will definitely pick up the second book. But yeah, the first book took me a bit of time to get into it. And I love the sci-fi genre. And I love the murder mystery genre. But the mashup was a bit uncomfortable. So... I liken it to you having a symbiotic relationship with a different alien. So this book <laughs> is a symbiotic relationship between a sci-fi and a cozy mystery. And sometimes you might not get on. But at, at a certain point, you realize that, oh, actually, we can coexist quite happily and make a better entity. So that is what I say about this book. <laughs> I really like the idea that, that she just like, you know, I like just decided like, I'm going to do a cozy mystery set in space. And she made it work. She didn't just take the lazy way. Well, I mean, like, you know, like the, the easy way of just taking a murder mystery and just having it on the moon. She didn't just do that. So she actually does 
bring all the space elements into it. There's problems with, with humans not being able to breathe in outer space. And then there, there's problems of human beings, like physiology and how, what do we eat? <laughs> what do, you know, how do we survive when you go away from earth and stuff like that? And yeah, and I, and I think that she's actually worked a lot on that. Mm. I think, I think you, you do, there is some work involved, although I would say that it pays off. It pays off mm. at the end. Yeah, I have to say, um, there were answers to questions that I didn't even think of asking. And when it was answered, I was like, oh yeah, I actually did kind of want to know that. <laughs> so um, so that was kind of nice. That was kind of like, I mean, it's a book that gives you a lot of discovery, but it is also kind of like a book that kind of writes its own rules in a way. So you just have to suspend your disbelief because you can, you can easily think that, oh, that's so convenient, Lafferty, you know, like you need an alien that, that can do this. So you just created this alien. How convenient, Mer Lafferty. You can probably go into that train of thought, right? But if you just allow yourself to just like, oh, you know, aliens exist among us. You know, you can go to a space station where there's different races that you never know of. So it's kind of like, so it has a lot of themes that you are used to, you know, the outsider coming into a place, loneliness, as you were saying, and connection, but also figuring out what's your purpose in this world because like, surely like I'm better I mean I, I'm good for something other than being around a murder you know which is kind of like poor Mallory's kind of like journey right so it's almost like a coming of age for a person who really doesn't know why things happen to her and and kind of coming into her own a little bit you know taking ownership over that yeah. originally I didn't feel very much for her I'm like okay so yeah, why am I following? I think in yeah. the beginning you kind of like it gets a little bit exasperating to just to think about this character who she's just so focused on the whole idea that if human beings come near her they're gonna die so she's just like you know like that's her single-minded focus she's just just i just want i need to get away from them or stop them from coming near me like this is the whole her whole focus but by the end of the book you kind of get it you understand mm. like and, and and it's justified because people do die <laughs> it's true. they really did die if she carries on this mid solar kind of like series I think the the further books will be more will go into more deeper character and you know you get to know them a little bit better and and hopefully it is a series that it's like visiting an old friend every time you read it because she had to do so much setup in this book <laughs> you know like how can you even write a murder mystery when you have to explain the physiology of your suspects like at every single turn and you go like um but can this alien cause this person to die this way you know yeah, so she had to kind of figure figure out how to contain that as well. You know, like if you have a have a being that can crash people, right? I mean, and then you have a being that can go into your ear hole. You can die in so many different ways. You know, like how do you even investigate something like that? Like like even the the who does the uh, autopsy? They have aliens doing autopsy on a human being and even they don't know what to look for. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't I don't understand the physiology of this creature. So you can't have that CSI moment where you're like, oh yes, this, 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 because the alien be like, yeah, um, what am I looking for? <laughs> like what's going, is this even a murder? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think it's more fun than anything else because if you if you're trying to take it too seriously, yeah, you know you're gonna if you tr if you want to treat it like an Agatha Christie and be able to figure it out by the end of the book, I think you'd be disappointed because there's too many different factors involved here that it's not something that you can just figure out. I think mm. um, I don't know maybe, maybe that's just me because you know 
I'm not like the world's best detective. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yep, things happen in this book. Like I'm telling you, the, the last one third of the book, right? Things happen really fast. Oh my fast. God, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, 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 eh, ah, ah, oh, what? what? Oh, <laughs> you know, and people are losing air. Oh, oh, okay. People are dying as well. Oh, oh, things have, you know, things have changed into a spaceship. Huh? What? So it's kind of like, you're, you're, you're just sort of like, okay, la, go for the ride. So it's certainly a, 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 a book that is different. And as Diana was saying, if you like a, a good murder mystery, try a murder mystery set in space. It seemed to be a bit of a trend. There's going to be a few more books coming out that have this sort of like genre bending thing. I mean, it's a matter of time, isn't it? Yeah. That, uh, you know, you, you've exhausted enough churches and houses and manors and gardens and swamps that you can die in. So why not die on a space station or on a spaceship, right? <laughs> Murders, murderers are among us wherever you go. It doesn't matter how far you run. Even on the moon, you can be, get murdered probably. So you think it's comforting to people to know that, you know, yeah, people will die anywhere, but it's okay. There's always going to be someone who comes along who can solve it for you. <laughs> And also, if you have alien technology and other alien species, death can also not be the end. Mm. Right? Shall we leave people with that nugget? <laughs> you might get murdered, but you not, might not actually die. Okay. <laughs> yeah, shall we end this show, Diana? <laughs> I think we yeah. waxed. We waxed long enough. <laughs> so thanks for listening to this episode on Mer Lafferty's Station Eternity. We hope we've intrigued you with our discussion of this fast-paced, inventive, and engaging novel. Mm. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can give us a like and subscribe us on Instagram at TBNT Books, Facebook at Two Books Talking, or TBNT Pod on Twitter. And you can always drop us an email at booknutstalking at gmail.com. You can either pronounce it stalking or talking. Yeah. It, either way works. Yeah. We're, we're, we're happy to stalk you. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Dinah speaks for herself. <laughs> this episode is edited by Honey and our producer Stephanie Ong. Yes, and there's a there's a person named Stephanie in this book. How lovely. We leave you with this quote by Louisa May Alcott who said, Good books like good friends are few and chosen. The more select, the more enjoyable. I really like that. We hope I you do, do too. too. <laughs> we hope you have a wonderfully bookish week ahead. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>